I think there's often a negative association with educational games. And, you know, we're trying to undo that and say, no, look, it can be fun. It can be aesthetically pleasing. Um, it can be something that people and in our case, kids actually do want to play. That's great and admirable as, as a cause. <laughs> Hello world, this is SpartyCast. Hello and welcome to SpartyCast. I'm Dr. Robbie Rutan, your host, director of the lab, and excited to have you back on the podcast because you're a return listener, aren't you? Uh, or maybe not, maybe you're a new listener. Welcome, it's so great to have you. Thank you for coming. I hope you find this episode interesting. I speak with Dr. Kelly Tran. She's a game designer who I met in an academic conference. She's also a researcher. Of course, we talked about research back then. We talk about research today. She's also a streamer uh, and a player. Of course, if she's streaming on Twitch, she streams Final Fantasy IV. She also plays Chicory and Mass Effect. She has a great perspective on serious games or impactful games because she's designing them. She understands the importance of aligning the game mechanics with the serious content. So it's not just chocolate covered broccoli. She also talks about the value of games as stealth assessment tools, being able to tell exactly how well people are learning a skill or an ability. And that's important when you're designing serious games and impactful games. And of course I ask her about avatars because that's what I do. I hope you enjoy the episode. Check out her links, her stream. Maybe I will invite myself to uh, play on Profs Play with them sometime in the future. Hope you enjoy. All right. Hello, Kelly. Welcome to SpartyCast. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so we know each other from academic conferences, and we've kind of connected in the, the social media space. I happened to see you doing um, a live audio in Clubhouse and mm, mm -hmm. jumped into that. Um, and then that led me to saying, hey, join the podcast. It seems like you're doing really interesting work in the area of games research and, and industry and games. Tell, tell me about it. Yeah, so I actually left my university. Um, I was an assistant professor of game design, and I actually left to join industry. And uh, I am currently one of the founders of Evolved Play. We're making games for social emotional learning. Uh, I also am just up to a ton of projects these days, Robbie. I'm doing, um, I'm running a Discord server about game design. I'm doing Twitch streaming. I'm doing consulting. Like it's just, uh, I think COVID has has done this to a lot of people. It's it's made people rethink their priorities and and kind of uh, explore new directions. So that's definitely the space I'm in these days. Wow. So you decided to leave academia for industry because it was more exciting or lucrative or well, there's a number uh, a number of reasons for it, uh, but one of them was, you know, here I was teaching in this game design program, having not actually been in industry before, um, teaching undergraduates who are really oriented toward wanting to get into industry. Um, and so that kind of started giving me inklings toward uh, maybe wanting to go work on a project. And I actually always thought I was going to enter the industry. Um, it's actually kind of a funny thing. When I was getting my master's degree, which was in digital arts and sciences, that's actually uh, what I wanted to do. Even when I was getting into my PhD, I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to make educational games. Um, you know, the whole reason I, I got into all of this field was uh, I read, of course, uh, Jane Paul G James Paul G's book. Um, and- uh, uh, student at Wisconsin? Because we met there. Uh, 
Oh, we, so no, I uh, was at Arizona State University. So oh, I yes. actually went there to work with that. both Jim and Betty G, uh, who are oh, my mentors. Yeah. Where they went um, after Wisconsin. Now I get it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it was a really great experience. And, you know, of course, along the way, as one does in a PhD program, I was like, I want to, you know, be a professor. I want to do the whole thing. Uh, and, you know, I did it for three years. And I have some really great memories of uh, uh, students and colleagues and all of the stuff that I experienced, but I really just felt this calling to go out there and, and get my hands on something. Uh, you know, one of my frustrations, and I know a lot of academics express this, is that, you know, you work on something for years and then the publication process takes years. And then, especially in games, which, you know, is a fast moving field, it's like, well, here's my publication about a game from 10 years ago at this point, right? It just removes so quickly. It's the opposite in a lot of ways where sometimes it'll just give you whiplash. And, uh, you know, it's really nice to be in a different environment and um it, it's a really good fit for me in terms of seeing the impact of things uh on a much quicker time scale i'm, I'm quite impatient ha. um that's great that's great yeah that's i guess the dichotomy that i've i've um, been aware of a bit learning about industry in silicon valley not focused on games but on media technologies they they move very fast and it's not about mm -hmm. publishing it's about making an impact you, you mentioned you're interested in uh, social emotional learning and how, yeah. how does that play into your game design? So social emotional learning, um, the best way to describe it, what I tell people when they're not familiar with it is think of what Mr. Rogers is trying to teach you um, in terms of things like um, self-awareness and social awareness and also skills like self-management. Um, you know, they have a lot of overlap with what people might call soft skills. Uh, and a lot of research actually shows that, um, you know, developing these skills is really, really important for people to be happy as individuals and also uh, for people to be um, happy members of society. And so, you know, we haven't seen too much of this uh, in games. There are certainly games that explore it uh, very well. And one of uh, the advisors on our project I brought on. Um, uh, do you know Matthew Farber by any chance? I don't know if you've ever crossed paths so. with him. He would be a great person to talk to, but oh, he, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, he actually just wrote, uh, literally wrote the book on social emotional learning and games. And um, he has a lot of great examples, but really what it comes down to is trying to design a game that encourages skills like collaboration, empathy, social awareness, uh, which is quite a challenge. Um, you know, sometimes I jokingly will think to myself, you know, man, this would be so much easier to be designing a math or physics game. I'm just kidding. Uh, anybody out there designing those games, I know it's not, but um, it's really hard to sort of figure out how to translate those nebulous uh, terms, right? And they often are nebulous, even when you're looking at the research and the frameworks that exist for this, uh, into game mechanics. You know, how do we encourage collaboration? How do we have evidence that we're encouraging that collaboration? And so it's been a really interesting puzzle to solve and uh, a really interesting thing, too, about transitioning into industry is, you know, transitioning in this role where I'm actually uh, doing research still and writing. And, um, you know, it's like I, I get a little bit of both. I get everything. Um, so it's uh, a really interesting kind of fit. And it's interesting thing to try and apply uh, some of these research ideas into a game and into a game design. That is fascinating. In many ways, it makes me think of how gaming often cultivates the opposite of empathy and collaboration, mm -hmm. right? Like toxicity in gaming is, is a major topic, something I've studied also myself. And so in some ways you have to work against um, some of the mechanics or the trends that people are familiar with in games. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And 
one of the things, of course, that uh, gaming is unfortunately known for is the toxicity and the behaviors that people can have in these online environments. And so we're really hoping to curate some digital empathy and some understanding that, you know, the people that you're playing with are, in fact, other humans. And, you know, if we can even, you know, get people toward that to any degree, that would be a huge success uh, in our eyes in terms of how we're getting people to think about their position in the world and, uh, you know, how they play games with other people, uh, which is a really such a a big part of uh, so many people's lives, as I'm sure your your a lot of your listeners feel. Sure. So when you work work on games that focus on social uh, emotional learning, are these designed to be um, serious games, so to speak? I know Jim G hates that term. <laughs> yeah, he. Um... Uh, doesn't super love that as a terminology, but yeah, broadly speaking, you know, in that sort of uh, serious games, games for impact, right? Um, that entire sort of uh, whatever you want to call it, right? We can uh, pick apart all the terms all day, but yes, in answer to the question, um, sure. uh, it, it is. But what we're trying to do, and so my co-founders actually are uh, from commercial game development. Uh, they met at Age of Learning, but um, they have experience uh, at uh, Riot and uh, Bioware and a bunch of other places, right? So they're coming from from industry. And so, you know, we are focusing a lot too on trying to make a fun game and a game that uh, kids will look forward to playing because, um, you know, part of this is motivated by seeing so many um, not great quality educational games out there, um, games where, you know, the what you're doing in the game, the mechanics of the game have nothing to do with the learning outcomes, right? So Math Blasters is kind of a canonical example um, of, uh, of that game where you are um, shooting things and uh, you're solving math equations. And those two things don't have anything to do with each other, right? There's nothing about those that aligns uh, versus a game where, let's say, you're learning fractions and you're actually able to divide objects, right? Right? That's what you're doing in the game. And so you're taking up that understanding from what you're doing in the game. Uh, Filament has a game, the name is escaping me, that, that does that very well. Um, and of course, Portal as an a example of a fantastic learning game, as Jim always likes to point out. But, um, you know, you're actually in context doing physics things, um, for lack of a better term. And as a result, um, you're learning about these principles of physics. You're joining the battle against chocolate covered broccoli. Yes, we are. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's what we're hoping to do. Um, you know, it's a very difficult thing uh, to design educational games. You know, making a fun game is already, um, you know, an incredibly difficult task and layering on the educational aspect and making it one, enjoyable and two, actually, you know, hopefully achieve the outcomes that you're trying to achieve is, is quite a task. So um, that is the ultimate goal. But uh, we are, you know, trying to figure out now how we actually integrate those things together. What's the name of your studio again? So it is Evolved Play. Evolved Play. And what's the name of, do you have any games that are out that uh, listen? Um, so that? that is actually all currently under NDA. But if you go to the website, uh, you can see screenshots. You can see uh, some of our, our uh, research perspective and uh, where we're coming from and the members of our studio. Great, great. What do you play for fun then? Maybe with oh my gosh. educational <laughs> experience. Um, but I'm sure you learn a lot from the games that you're playing for entertainment. Mostly. Yeah, I really do. Um, so whenever I was a professor of game design, I always justified the amount of time I spent playing games with like, well, you know, I need to play broadly and be well played. So when I'm teaching, I have examples, I know different genres, I know what's going on, I can relate to my students. Uh, and now I've just transitioned that into well, it's all about learning design now. So, um, you know, it, I'm justified in how much I play, which is uh, kind of an absurd amount. So I think I mentioned to you before, I'm playing a game called Chicory. Um, it's sort of an indie darling. 
it's uh, I think out on Steam and and PS4 and PS5, and it's uh, it starts out it's sort of Zelda esque, but you have a paintbrush, and so you're actually coloring in. It's a blank world, like a coloring book, and you're coloring things in, and it starts out very very cutesy, but it ends up going to these places where it's uh, you know questioning what is the nature of art, um, and and characters dealing with things like depression and imposter syndrome, uh, all wrapped up in this very inviting looking world, and it's uh, it's really an emotional experience. It's really um, incredible i put it you know in the same tier as something like celeste or or you know one of those games that really gets people an emotional reaction uh and it's it's just fantastic and i highly highly recommend it yeah i after uh we talked about it briefly i, I looked up some videos i saw the mechanic of the paintbrush kind of like paint by color or mm -hmm. even easier to paint if you want um but i didn't get this i didn't get the emotional depth of the game uh, from that brief trailer. So that that's the fulfilling part of it. it. It's the the kind of journey that you go through playing Chigari. Yeah, yeah, an emotional journey. And the um, the coloring mechanics are really interesting. There's uh, a part in the game where you go to art school and you can optionally, you know, do all these kind of uh, studies and, you know, uh, draw pictures that get hung up in the world. And it's a really constrained tool set. So you have a very limited color palette. You have very limited sort of brush sizes and strokes that you can use. And so it's really almost freeing. So I'm playing on PlayStation 5 and it's like finger painting because you're using the little touch pad and um, the focus kind of shifts to me uh, off of it being perfect because you're only going to do so well with you know a few colors uh, using the touchpad so it's not going to look like an amazing work of art but you are going to have fun doing it and you know I think for anybody who's doing a creative pursuit we can all get in our own heads and you know feel like uh, you know research is the same way right it's like oh this isn't good enough you know what am I doing we all struggle with that and so just kind of like essentially finger painting your way through your feelings is like a really nice experience and, and is a big part of the sell of the game for me interesting so earlier you were talking about how a game like math blasters is unfulfilling because it doesn't align the mechanics with the kind of content the serious nature of, mm -hmm. of the game and so here are you implying that the mechanic of painting in some ways aligns very well with the emotional um introspective journey that the game intends you to go on you know, I would say 100% there's an alignment. And I actually, um, I just love to evangelize about games I love. I actually didn't even mean to bring it back uh, and make that connection. But um, the way you phrased it, yeah, that's exactly uh, the way I would I would describe it is, um, you know, there's moments where you just kind of stop and chill and you're present and you just want to fill in every part of the world um, instead of rushing through it, which for me, as I mentioned earlier, I'm sort of an impatient person. So I don't typically just kind of like stand and look at the environment. Um, so, you know, it, it is leading to some self-reflection. So yeah, excellent uh, uh, fit between mechanics and uh, and message in, in that game. I'll, I'll check it out. And you also play blockbuster games like Mass Effect. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, this was my summer of Mass Effect. So, uh, you know, with Legendary Edition coming out, um, I had never played Mass Effect 1. I had never played like all of them together. Uh, and I was just kind of going around like can I have a formative experience as an adult because that was really you know how I felt about it um just the 
taking one character across all three games and and the way that this game is structured um if you get legendary edition is you know it's all in one package it has all of the dlc just seamlessly like in the game so you actually experience all of those other story moments um and i was just blown away by it and and as a game but also as a work of sci-fi i was just fascinated by um um, all of the world building and all of the sort of attachments you form to the character. So thinking again about those uh, emotions and feelings that you can um, can be evoked as you're playing games. You know, I certainly got very attached to uh, to many of my uh, crew members as I was playing, and uh, you know, it was a really fun thing too because a, a lot of people were playing over the summer. So um, everyone has strong opinions, right, on on what characters they like and don't like, and so it was a really fun social thing as well. And the narrative in some ways relates to some of those social emotional skills that um, you're working on in your own game. Right? Yeah, yeah, I would I would say so. Um, there's certainly um, a lot of uh, relationship building and through things like the Paragon and Renegade system, which I, I certainly uh, wouldn't claim maps to SEL in any particular way. Um, but you know, you do have to do a lot of thinking about um, you know, your actions, right, and how that's going to affect the world and how other people and, you know, in the case of, uh, of Mass Effect, right, other sort of alien species are going to be impacted or are going to react to the things that you do um, as a character. So maybe not developed through the same theoretical lens that you're using, but um, in some ways leading to similar outcomes or, or in, in what ways are the games or game that you're developing with Evolved Play more targeted toward outcomes than just playing an entertainment game like Mass Effect? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I'm working on is actually trying to, in some ways, map um, mechanics to different kinds of uh, outcomes, right? And, and so some of the things that we need to think about in terms of uh, this game versus an entertainment game is things like uh, evidence, right? So we need to have some kind of evidence um, or assessment that is showing that people are, um, you know, learning what we hope they're learning. Now, I'm a big fan of sort of stealth assessment or, you know, assessment as design where, hey, if a player is able to do X or Y thing, then that probably means that they've picked Picked up that skill or figured this thing out, right? Uh, the thing that games do very well uh, in uh, commercial games, right? You know, if you're able to beat this boss using the tools that they gave you in this dungeon, then it means you've mastered the tool, right? You can move on. Um, and so that very much informs my thinking in terms of uh, how I'm thinking about this. But of course, um, as we want to be uh, sound in our research as well, uh, and in terms of the claims that we're making about this game, we also have to think very explicitly about how we're going to measure that and how we're going to uh, look at the impact that this game is having. Uh, it's also being designed uh, by us kind of from the ground up to be considering the research and to be considering this sort of framework. Um, so it's very informed by a number of different SEL frameworks that are um, you know, supported by the research. And we're looking at different competencies and focusing on a few and saying, you know, what does this look like in a game? Um, how can we get people to practice this? And it's also coming out in the story as well. So the story uh, focuses a lot, and I can't say too much about the story um, on these kinds of, of skills as well. I'm fascinated by the um, distinction between entertainment experiences that are edifying or even edu educational or other otherwise impactful or serious or meaningful uh, experiences that have entertainment, you know, edutainment as the framework and is there a place, a game like Portal seems to be one that's indistinguishable or maybe not. I mean, yeah, no, I, I think that uh, the boundary is getting 
smaller and smaller. Um, and, you know, these lines are starting to blur. And I think that's a very positive thing um, to be able to look at, right, commercial entertainment games, which do have a lot of great sort of learning design in them and teaching design uh, and looking at those. And I feel like people are becoming more open generally and researchers to saying, you know, hey, and, you know, this has been going on for, for quite a while now in terms of research and saying, oh, you know, this game is actually teaching some kind of thing or getting people to enact some kind of knowledge or way of being. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's things like with Portal, um, there was actually a course on uh, in the registrar at my university that was called like portal and physics or like physics with portals or something and students always asked me you know, it was in the physics department I didn't know anything about it and they hadn't offered it in a while. And I always had students like what's going on with this class I have to take a science class you know they're game design students I have to take this class and like I don't know what to do for my gen ed I'm like I don't know ask the physics department it sounds awesome. Um, but you know we, we certainly are starting to see that become I think a lot more mainstream uh, and of course you know Minecraft with their educational editions as well, and so you know seeing those boundaries kind of blur. Um, and recognizing that uh, commercial entertainment games, right, have a lot of excellent things to teach us and that learning games don't have to be like, uh, you know, I think there's often a negative association with educational games. And, you know, we're trying to undo that and say, no, look, it can be fun. It can be aesthetically pleasing. Um, it can be something that people and in our case, kids actually do want to play. That's great um, and admirable as, as a cause. <laughs> um, and, uh, and of course, you know, I drink all the Kool-Aid from, yeah. <laughs> from this domain, um, but I, I do think it's great. So when you Twitch stream, are you Twitch streaming uh, more entertainment games or educational games or? Oh yeah, so the Twitch streaming has been a funny thing. Um, so I actually Twitch stream with three other professors. Um, so uh, two of them are at CSU Fresno. One of them is uh, an instructor at Arizona State. Uh, two of them are grad school friends of mine. Uh, and we just started Twitch streaming together and um, we started out, we were trying to find our audience where we were like, is this for like games researchers? Is this game students? Like, who is this for? Um, and it turns out it's it's much more of a general audience kind of thing. Uh, and we do a lot of stuff that's really silly on there. But then we also do, you know, talk about the fact we're professors. We joke around a lot about, um, you know, hey, like, uh, you know, it's class. we're giving you wait time chat. You know, we, we joke around a lot about that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, we found actually some of us, our students will watch, um, but we really mix it up on that channel. It's sort of a variety thing. And um, we actually, I think, all of us uh, have listed it somewhere like an official university document. So I know I put it on my annual review last year. Um, two of them uh, have put it on their like uh, tenure package, right, as public scholarship because we, you know, we do talk about real things and real ideas and uh, education and that sort of thing. Um, but we also have a really silly time. And then that actually inspired me when I was learning about Twitch. Now I'm just Twitch streaming on my own, um, which is, you know, very much just kind of silly and entertainment, but I've, I've been having a blast and it's been really interesting to see everything from the streamer's point of view, right? You read a lot about Twitch, you might even watch it, but, uh, being on the other side of the camera, so to speak, is, is really an interesting experience that I'm glad that I'm having. So what do you play when you're doing it? Oh, so I play a ton of stuff. Um, my sort of niche has ended up being like Japanese RPGs, uh, you know, a ton of like Final Fantasy and, um, you know, newer ones. Like I played Yakuza, like a dragon um, a while ago. That one was really fun. But, you know, it seems to be, uh, you know, what my viewers really like is, is those sort of retro games, especially. 
I just started playing Final Fantasy 14 actually this week, uh, you know, and I'm not an MMO player. That's a big um, sort of uh, mystery to me that, uh, you know, and I know it's funny because so much of the research has been around World of Warcraft and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing and raiding. So I'm like, okay, I need to finally understand this. So I, I'm embarking on that journey. Um, and one of the great things about Twitch is that chat will help you a lot. Um, so, you know, typically it'd be like, man, I need a guide. I don't know what's going on. Um, but, you know, any game you play, there will be passionate people that show up, I have found, and actually will say, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that, or like, we'll give you tips. And it's like, there's games I would not have stuck with um, if I didn't have chat there to, to help me out. And, and just seeing people's passion about the game, you know, people come in and say, this is my favorite game. This is my childhood. It's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta stick with this game for you, viewer. Um, um, and it's, it's, it's really a different experience than playing game solo. I, I should try it. I've never done it. Um, mm, you should. Yeah. Time. I kind of missed the boat a little bit, you know, read, read about it, learned about it, talked about it as, as you mentioned. Um, but it would be fun. What, what's your Twitch stream called for our listeners? Oh, um, so the one I do with uh, the three professors is called Profs Play. Mm -hmm. um, Profs is in Professors Play. And then my solo stream is Sweater Wolf, um, which is sort of my online alias. Nice, uh, but you're okay sharing it, I assume. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people awesome. always uh, ask me where that name came from, and it actually came from uh, my dog, which uh, uh, podcast listeners can't see, but my dog is actually in the background a little I bit see right a now. Fuzzy little. Yeah. <laughs> your camera setup is amazing, by the way. Is it like a oh. photo lens or something? Oh, it's actually a, a combination of software and hardware stuff I'm doing. Um, I'm using nice. software for the blurring. But um, yeah, so he's a, you know, a small dog. He gets cold in the winter. And we had this sweater on him. It looked so silly. And I was like, like this used to be a wolf. Like This is what we've done to these animals. <laughs> like you know, He's just ah. a little sweater wolf now, um, So, um, which actually is what Jim G said when he, he saw the dog for the first time. He's like, this is what we've done to wolves. <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's so great um kelly thank you so much for your time you yeah of course fascinating work i think it's very meaningful um it is it is not chocolate covered broccoli by any degree <laughs> it's very informed on the theory side but also on the play side so i'm an advocate and happy to uh, disseminate the good word Oh, avatars. That's the last oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. That's like, that's my thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what role do you think avatars play in these types of uh, educational games? Can, um, how can we make so avatars effective? Yeah, I think one of the things is uh, things like customization in terms of, you know, for from a gameplay standpoint, right, is very motivating to players. Um, but from a sort of SEL framework, for instance, we can think about it as uh, personalization and as being aware of how you present to the world, right? Because that's one of the things of, of social awareness um, is being aware of other people's feelings and reactions and also decoding other people's feelings. Uh, so I think there's a lot of room to say like, you know, what does my avatar say about me, right? What am I, what am I saying to the world with this? Uh, and also maybe what are other people trying to communicate to me? And a big part of um, SEL is being able to read and understand emotions and uh, things like facial expressions, being able to decode those. And so having things like emotes on avatars or, or facial expressions where you can express yourself to other players, um, you know, that can be a really, really great way of having players communicate with one another, right? Uh, avatars are, are communicative, right? Whether they have emotes or not. Um, and I think that's a really sort of interesting thing that I think has maybe been under-researched in terms of things like uh, social awareness. That's a really good point. I hadn't ever thought about avatars from the perspective of kind of learning about your own self-perception. That makes a lot of sense. The reason the Proteus effect happens that 
that effect that your avatar's characteristics influence your behavior mm -hmm. um, in theory is because it changes your self-perception. And so if that's the case, then we can certainly use avatars to understand how to read emotions or, or decode our behaviors as other people might perceive them. Absolutely. Well, there's a seed of a research idea for you there. <laughs> I've got, that's my donation. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take that to the bank. Thank you so much, Kelly. Yeah, sure really thing. Fun. I'm really happy to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much, Robbie. Of course. And now a note from our sponsor, which is me, SpartyCast. Are you a SpartyCast listener who has listened to more than one episode and might listen again in the future? If that's the case, I want to hear from you in our survey. It's a bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Sparty survey, S-P-A-R-T-I-E-S-U-R-V-E-Y. Go to our survey. It's got like five questions. It'll take you under one minute. It will help us figure out the types of content you like, the types of content you want to hear, and it will be very appreciated. We are not doing this for money. We're doing this for the love. We're doing this as outreach to the academic and industry and research communities who are interested in virtual worlds, video games, the metaverse, avatars, mental health, well-being, education, etc. And and that's that's my that's my passion. Um, so that's why we're doing this, and I just want to make an impact through it. So do our survey, please bit.ly slash sparty survey that's b-i-t dot l-y forward slash s-p-a-r-t-i-e survey thank you for checking out this episode with dr kelly tran i hope you found her perspective on game design and research interesting and edifying i certainly did the ability to align game mechanics with the impactful or serious intent of a game is clearly very important. You don't want to build chocolate-covered broccoli, not just in games, but in any sort of experience for um, for pupils or, or even your own kids, right? Uh, you need the fun to balance with the serious intent. And she's an expert at that. She's also an expert at understanding how games can be used for assessing people's abilities. So we can give a test in a game, and that might actually be a more ecologically valid is what we would call it in the field, a more realistic test of someone's skills than having them write on pen and paper uh, their responses to hypothetical questions. Uh, she talked about chicory, how the, the paintbrush experience, kind of that embodied experience of finger painting in the game while you go through this narrative journey with the protagonist was eudaimonic, which basically means fulfilling or meaningful to her. It's great that she's also Twitch streaming with other professors and Twitch streaming on her own. I think it's very cool to see someone from my field, you know, the kind of uber research nerd world, also spending time in the sphere of entertainment gaming because often we don't encourage our students or our colleagues to play games. When my colleagues at conferences know that I'm in game studies, they're like, oh, oh you must play a lot of games. And they like look down on that or, I, I don't know if they're actually looking down on it, but it's a, it's a joke. It's certainly a joke to them. And so then there's this reluctance among scholars, I think, of games to play them. Not everyone, um, but but certainly some. I remember I was assigned to play EverQuest 2 as one of my first research assistant tasks for Dimitri Williams, my advisor at USC. And I actually didn't love that game, but I played it for research and that was great. We got 
papers out of it. I had to understand the game in order to do research on, on it. And then he had later assigned me to play League of Legends in 2011. That was amazing. It was the very beginning of that game's popularity, wrote multiple papers on that. So understanding how games work is essential for researchers who want to use games or comment on how games can be used in society toward positive effect. Not just serious games, but entertainment games, games in any context have an effect on people. Not the effects that we sometimes worry about, you know, violence and aggression. Certainly they have an effect that they're overused. Um, in some ways that's, that's important to restrict use and balance um, games out with other healthy activities. But in general, I think it's not just black and white. There's, there's plenty of gray and Kelly was a wonderful guide uh, through this conversation today about the gray area in the games. Thank you very much for checking it out. And I hope you come back to another episode or check out some of our previous episodes on games, avatars, the metaverse, etc. All right, that was our episode. If you like what you heard, please like, follow, download, subscribe, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your neighbor, tell your professor, tell your dog, tell everyone, all the peoples, uh, tell the the people who are watching your Twitch stream and uh, and tell me. You can tell me on Twitter, um, R-A-R-A-T-A-N. That's my, that's my Twitter handle. Our producers are Taylor Halterman and Taylor Halterman. Thank you. Thank you to her. Thank you to you for checking out the podcast. Hope to catch you at another episode. Thank you for tuning into SpartyCast. Goodbye, world.